Do any of you find yourself complaining a lot? Um, I read an article this week that said that there is a new epidemic in America, and it is the epidemic of complaint. Why is it that when life seems for the most part to be really good, I mean, come on, like, like life is really pretty good for, for almost all of us, right? We live in the most comfortable, privileged area in history, the United States, and the wealthiest country and the most resourced country in the world. And yet studies have shown that we are some of the most complaining people on the planet. We have it the best out of most all the people in the world, and yet we are the people who complain the most. And so, my friends, just take a really quick inventory. Is it true of you? Are you quick to moan? Are you quick to denounce? Are you quick to criticize? If you've been with us over the past couple weeks, we've been talking about the way we think and the impact it has upon our life. So we as a nation are crawling out of this global pandemic, and I wanted to address uh, our mental state. Uh, So for four weeks, we've been talking about what does it mean to renew the mind? What does it mean to be transformed as we renew our mind, as we change the way that we think? And I wanted to provide a few tools that might help us win the battle that is at war within our minds. Now here's the thing. I don't claim to be a subject in this area. I had a I mean, come on, I, ha- I have a psychology minor. About 15 years ago in college, I got a psychology minor. So, you know, I, ha- I know a little bit. I've read a few books on the subject. But I'm getting a lot of help from the series from a book called Winning the War in Your Mind by Craig Rochelle. There are some other really great resources. Um, and this week on social media, Emily and I had talked about uh, providing a number of these resources. So if you want a deeper dive into the mental state and how we can win the war in our mind, then those will be posted on social media this week on the Facebook page uh, of Restoration and Instagram. And so you can find some of those resources there to really help you. But if you are really struggling mentally... Listen to this, friends. If you're really struggling, if you're really overwhelmed with fear or irrational thoughts, please see an expert. Please see an expert. We advocate for that. There's nothing to be ashamed about seeing a counselor or a therapist or a psychiatrist who can prescribe you the right medication that you might need to help you or to process what you are going through in life right now. If you are really struggling, my friends, please see somebody. And I have a number of resources that can help you. Again, if you need help finding a great resource, please let us know, and we can certainly help you do that. But I do want to help you understand that our minds are a battlefield, and that's really been my point over the last several weeks, and it will be again next week. Most of life's battles are won or lost in the mind. And by the way, real quick, I forgot to mention this. If you are with us on the lawn today and you would like these slides, if you go into your smartphone, go to the website of Restoration Church, scroll down just a little bit on the homepage, under the the June 6th date, uh, you can find a little button that says slides and it'll pop these slides up for you. If you're interested in following along with us, uh, you can do that right there. But here's the thing. Most of life's battles are won or lost in the mind. The life we have is a result of what we think. And so what comes into your mind oftentimes will come out into your life. You guys experienced this before? What you put into your mind will oftentimes come out into your life. And so if you have a negative mind, my friends, it is almost impossible to live a positive life. If you have a negative mind, it is almost impossible to live a positive life when your mind is consumed with negative thoughts. And the reason this is because every time you think a thought, you're creating a neural pathway through your mind, which makes then that thought easier to think about. And this is really great news if what you are meditating on and focusing on and fixating your thoughts on is the truth. But if you are meditating and focusing and fixating And, and listen to the last two messages if this is something that you feel like you're struggling with. But today I want to talk about a cognitive bias. 
or what's often called a mental filter. A cognitive bias is simply a mistaken reasoning based on personal preference or experiences. It's, it's a mental filter or a mental framework by which we interpret a situation or a circumstance or a relationship. For example, If you grew up in uh, a context where you were surrounded by really abusive men, you know, it may be the case now, later in life, where you just think all men are abusive and all men are going to hurt you. And of course, that's not true, but you interpret your interaction and your interpretation of men through that. Or, or perhaps you grew up in a context where, where, your, where your parents always said something like, you know, um, wealthy people are always bad. Inherently, wealth is bad. Uh, you know, the, the ones who are corrupt. Uh, they're all crooked, you know, wealthy people are bad. And then you find yourself later in life starting to succeed a little bit financially. And, and now you're run with feelings of guilt and shame. And it's, it's not that money is bad, but it's just the filter that you've put your life through and your circumstance and your experience through. The filters you have will shape how you see life. And so what's interesting is if you can change the filter, then oftentimes you can change the feel. Oftentimes, if you can change the filter by which you see something or experience something, you can change the feel of how you experience or... Studies have shown, actually, that if you take a picture, any picture, and there's one that's uh, popped up. It's a picture of a flower for those of you online. Uh, For those of you in person, it's a picture of a flower. If you take that colored picture and you make it into black and white, serotonin, the happy hormone in your brain, drops. Studies have shown this. Just changing a, a filter, right? Making something black and white changes the feel of that photo. A cognitive bias is simply a default filter. It's what our brain is pre-wired to think in a certain way, or it's pre-wired to interpret a, a situation, even if our interpretation is accurate, even if it's not factual, even if it's not objective. The cognitive bias is the filter by which we see a situation, This is why two different people can respond totally different to the exact same situation. It's not the facts that are different. It's the filter that is different. It's not the facts that are different. It's the filter that is different. For example, you might be in a workplace and your supervisor might go and give you the exact same feedback, right? He might give the exact same feedback to two different people and they experience it and they interpret it in two completely different ways. One person might get offended. They'll say, why are you telling me that? You don't know how valuable I am to this company. You know, I I don't even like you anyway, you know, who do you think that you are giving me this feedback? You have no right to tell me this. You don't know how much I bring to this company. And the next person with the exact same feedback, but a different filter might say, well, thank you. That was actually very helpful. Thank you. That feedback was, was helpful. Now I can do my job better. And I really appreciate the fact that you valued me enough. Thank you for the feedback. It's not the facts that are different. It's the filter that is different. Two different people can walk into a church. One people can say, yeah, those people are all hypocrites. I hate the music. I hate what that pastor's wearing. I hate it all. I hate it all. I hate it all. Another person can come into the exact same context and say, wow, these people were so loving. It was so insightful. It was inspirational. I love this place. Why? It's not the facts that are different. It is the filter that is different. Do you know why some people view Trump as America's Messiah? Yeah, I know I'm about to poke a bear here. All right, just let me go here. All right. Why do some people view him as America's Messiah and other people view him as the devil? Why do some people view Biden the exact same way? Because Fox and CNN are filters, my friends. The left and the right are filters. And I know, yes, I'm poking the bear, and I'm just going to poke it a little more here for you, friends, okay? 
depending upon what news sources you consume, you can be convinced that the vaccine is the answer to every single problem that we've had this year. And that masks are necessary to keeping our nation safe. Or if you read different sources, if you put your information and your mind and your heart and your body through a different filter, you can be convinced that science doesn't support what the other side thinks and the vaccine is dangerous and it will probably kill you and it probably has a chip in it to track you. And masks are a ball and chain to your freedom. Why is it that the spectrum is so broad, my friends? It is because there are filters that we are all interpreting our experiences through. There are filters which we are all putting our lives through and our brains through. And of course, you know that your side is right. And whatever side it is, your side is right. Because you are the informed side, right? All those other people don't know what they're talking about. And it isn't funny how both sides of the spectrum say the exact same thing about the other side. Why? It's because there is a filter that we are putting our mind through. There is a filter by which we are experiencing and interpreting our situation and our circumstances through. But all they are is different filters. And there's so much complexity as to why people think the way they do, but, but certainly cognitive bias, which is the culmination of an entire life lived, coupled with the filters we choose to think through, all of that plays a very big part in our reasoning and in our thinking. My friends, you can actually see examples of this in Scripture. There's a powerful one, actually, in Numbers 13 and 14. Moses sends 12 spies up into the Promised Land to check out the Promised Land. And you might know the story, right? Ten of them come back with a very negative understanding, right? A very negative impression of what the promised land is about. Yeah, the the fruit are really big, and yeah, it's a really good land, but there are giants in this land, and this land devours the people living in it. And and we look like grasshoppers to the people in there, and they've even said as much, right? We probably look like grasshoppers to them. I guarantee you, they did not approach any of those giants in the land and interview them as to their feelings about the people who have come into their land, but they interpreted their situation through the filter of fear, Isn't it amazing that 10 of them interpreted the situation through the filter of fear and only two of them came back with a positive response saying, God is good enough to accomplish this. God will help us do this. I think that's probably indicative of the human response. It is so so much easier to to put our, our lives and our situations through the filter of the negative, isn't it? 10 people said, we can't do this. It's negative. Only two people have a positive response. It is a choice, my friends, what filter you choose to interpret a situation through. It is the filter that matters. It is, it is the filter which matters, and we have a choice as to what filter we put our circumstances through. But it's not just the filter. It is also the frame by which we choose to see a situation through. You can be in the very same situation, and how you frame something will actually determine how you see it. But did you know that, that we also have the power to choose to reframe a situation? Reframing is creating a different way of looking at a situation or a relationship by changing the meaning of the relationship. So let's say you wake up and you are determined ahead of time, and maybe some of you do this, and you you catch yourself doing this sometimes. You wake up in the morning and you have determined ahead of time that today is going to be a bad day. Anybody willing to admit that they do this sometimes? You just assume the day is going to be bad before the day even begins? We frame the day in a bad way. It's going to be a hard day. I got so much to do today. I, I work with these people and they drive me nuts every single day. I don't know how I'm going to get it all done. I'm so overwhelmed. I'm so tired. Life is so hard. Life is bad. Oh my gosh, what am I even doing? 
right? My, 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 my kids and my husband and my wife, they're driving me crazy. Why do I even have all these kids, right? We, we continue to, to interpret our situation. We make excuses and we try to, try to convince ourselves. I'm sick of my stupid car. I hate all the people I work with. I hate my job. Some of you do that. Some of you wake up and you have already determined that today is going to be horrible because you have already framed the situation in a certain way. But the very same day, you can have a bad day if you frame it the wrong way, but instead, you can take the exact same situation and you can reframe it differently. Do you guys know this? You have a choice in how you frame a day. You can wake up and say, okay, I've got a lot going on today, but I'm so thankful my God is with me through it all. And I'm thankful that he is here for me. I'm thankful he has given me a job. I'm thankful that I've got this old clunker of a car to get me from A to Z, or to A to B. Even though some people drive me crazy at work, I'm actually thankful for them because, come on, they're pretty good people. I believe today's going to be a good day. We're going to grind it out, and I'm going to get a lot done. You can frame the way that. You can frame your day that way. You can choose to reframe your day differently. It is not the facts that change, my friends. It is the filter by which we s- interpret the situation. It is not the facts that change. It is the frame by which we see it through. And I'm afraid that there are so many people that start to frame even God by saying, I don't like what God, what's, what's going on, God. Rather than looking for the goodness of God in the day, it's not just the facts that are different, right? It's the filter, or it's oftentimes the frame. And what do we know about What goes on in life, my friends? You cannot control what happens to you. All that you can control is the filter by which you interpret it through. All you control is the frame by which you see it through. And so think about your life right now. Take another inventory. Think about even the expectations that you have often in your mind. And and I wonder, how many of you wanted something in life, but right now you're experiencing the exact opposite? You know, you thought you were going to be a different place professionally. You thought you were going to have more money at this time in life. You thought you were going to be in a job that was more meaningful. You thought maybe that you were going to be married by now, or you thought that maybe your marriage was going to be successful. You'd have accomplished something, and you'd have this relationship, and, and you really, really wanted to achieve something, and instead, here you are, and you're experiencing the exact opposite of what you had hoped for. Maybe you dreamed about having a great marriage and, and that's exactly what you wanted and you prepared for it and you stayed pure and you, and, you, and you went through premarital counseling and you did everything right. And then 10 years later, you ended up where you never wanted to be, brokenhearted and divorced. Or maybe for you, you went to college and you studied and you got the degree and it felt like you were prepared to do something meaningful in the world. And now instead of having a great job that you love to go to every day, you have to crawl out of bed to an unrelated job and it seems beneath you and beneath your education level. And you wonder, how in the world did I get here? How in the world did I get to this place? Or maybe for you, it was that you got to the point in life where you thought you'd be married or you'd financially out of debt or, or you'd be able to travel or you'd have a ministry or be making a difference in the world or you would have started that business that you've been talking about for so long or you'd be leading the business or, or your kids would be better off, and you find yourself waking up, and you're like, I'm not where I wanted to be. And you're absolutely confused by it. Well, here's the thing. The Apostle Paul knows exactly what you are feeling. In fact, he had a heart for God. 
so much, he wanted to go to Rome. This was his dream, his, his dream board, right? This is his bucket list. This was his, his top prayer request. He wanted to be in Rome so that he could preach the gospel because he knew that if he can get to Rome, it was a strategic location for the gospel to be spread throughout the entire world. And so he so badly wanted to get to Rome so he could preach the gospel to the people in Rome. But instead of being Ro- in Rome preaching, he finds himself in a Roman prison, locked up in house arrest, awaiting execution. Everything that he wanted and dreamed about and thought that God was leading him towards never happened. It didn't happen, at least in the way that he thought about it. He, he happened the exact opposite way. And Paul could have framed the situation in one of different ways, like we all can, right? We get to choose what filter we put our situation through. We get to choose what frame we see our situation through. He could have framed it in the negative side, and this is what he would have said if he would have framed it that way. From Philippians 1, 12 through 13, this is the NWV version. NWV stands for the New Winers Version, by the way. And so if you're looking for the, the, the version of the Bible that's going to help you wine the most, this is the, the one that you're going to want to look to. He could have said, now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me really sucks. Yeah, it does. This is horrible. As a result of all the hell I've been through, I'm quitting house group, and I'm never going back to church. That's what he could have said. And he probably would have felt justified in saying that because his life was nowhere near what he wanted to be doing, right? He could have been very negative regarding his situation. Now, th- for those of you who are new to church, um, I just I want to tell you that that is not a real version of the Bible, okay? So if you are in your you know, Bible app looking for the New Wanderers version, you're thinking, hey, that's my favorite version. Where is it? I really would like to read that one. Yeah, it's not there. I, d- I made that up, okay? It's not there. But here's what he did say. He reframed his situation, right? He had control over how he filtered his situation. He had control over how he framed it. And here's what he did say. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, although it may look really bad to most people, right? The world looking in to my situation may think, wow, wow, wow. He's he's chained up to a Roman guard every day. This is horrible. He's in prison. He's not out in the Colosseum preaching the gospel like he wanted to be doing. He said, it has actually served to advance the gospel, As a result, it's become clear to those in the palace guard. I mean, guess what? Even though it looks like I'm in really bad shape, he would say, even though it looks like my situation is really, really horrible, when I choose to reframe it, when I choose to put it through a different filter, it is clear to everybody that I am actually in chains for Christ. And so what's happening, right? I am locked up to a Roman guard eight hours a day. Every eight hours, I get a new Roman guard that is locked up to me. My friends, I have a captive audience to preach the gospel to every single day, all day long. All they do for eight hours is listen to me talk about the goodness of Jesus. I wanted to be in Rome talking to influential people about the gospel of Jesus, and they attached me by my leg, by chain, to a Roman centurion. And now for eight hours a day, I get to tell them about the goodness of Jesus. How good is that? That is how Paul chose to reframe his situation. Verse 14, he said, And because of these chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become even more confident in the Lord. And guess what? Yes, it looks bad, but because I am in chains, they are daring to proclaim the gospel even more boldly without fear. My friends, it's not the facts that are different. It is the frame by which you choose to see the situation through. It is not the facts that change. It is the filter by which we choose to run them through. And I want to help you reframe your story and your relationships because what I know right now, many of you have got a battle going on in your mind. We all do, right? As I mentioned already, we've all got stuff. Every single one of us has got stuff. There has been stuff 
all day long, all year long, for the past 15 months for all of us. Stuff, 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 stuff. There has not been a person walking upon this planet who has not dealt with some stuff, my friends. You are not alone in your circumstance or in your experience. You've got family stuff. You've got kids stuff. You've got neighbor stuff. It's stuff with people you work with. Bad doctor report stuff. Bad behavior stuff. Fighting with your spouse stuff. Financial problem stuff. Fear stuff. Bad news on the, on the, on the TV stuff or on the, in the app stuff. Bad news in your family stuff. Bad news in your extended family stuff. Stuff, 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 stuff. We all got stuff. A mile long, my friends, we've all got stuff. And so often, so much of life is generally pretty decent, but often it is the small part of stuff that ends up taking us out of God's perfect will because we choose to filter our situations through that stuff rather than the goodness of God. And we choose to frame our situations around that stuff rather than God's goodness in light of that stuff. And so I want to give you today three specific tools that can help you renew your minds and transform your life. The first thing is this. I want to encourage you to occasionally thank God for what didn't happen. Thank God for what didn't happen. I'll give you an example of this. Uh, Greg Rochelle says this in his book. It's a story he tells in his book. There was a 20-year-old girl that said, Mom and Dad, I've got really bad news for you. I I need you to sit down. And then she said, let me tell you this story. I just wanted to to, to stay calm while I tell you this story, right? Don't get bent out of shape. I know, yes, it's it's, it's hard, but I, I need you to stay calm. It's really bad news. I went out to the bar uh, a couple weeks ago, and I, and I met a guy. We drank too much. He came back to my apartment. We hooked up, and I'm embarrassed to say, but I'm pregnant. But the good news is that, that his probation will be over in a year, and he's going to start looking for a job, and, and once he's out of rehab, then he's considering marrying me. But, but since we can't afford to get married now, he's just going to move in right now. And, and, she, and she let that news to her parents kind of just hang in the air a little bit. And then she said, actually, mom and dad, none of that is true. The truth is I got a D on my chemistry exam. And I just wanted you to know it could be so much worse. There may be times when you need to thank God for what didn't happen in your kid's life. I don't know what it would be, but maybe you miss your goal at work and you had a target so you could get your bonus and you ended up not getting your bonus, right? And that's really hard. And so you choose to frame that situation around the negative. You feel devastated by that, but here's the, here's the, here's the, here's the deal, friends. You can thank God that in a very challenged and compromised economy, you didn't actually lose your job. And suddenly you were reframing the situation rather than just focusing on what's wrong. And you can actually begin to see then what is right. You might get in a car wreck. I, I think of uh, two years ago, two, two summers ago, my car was totaled. I was sitting at a, at a turning lane, um, turning left, when a, a, a car coming at me was texting and driving, and he swerved into my lane, and he took the entire side of my car off. Because, there at the very last minute, he looked up and he, and he swerved, but as, again, it was too late, and he took the, literally, I was sitting there, and the entire side of my car was scraped off. And I could have I been really angry about that, right? And I could have framed the situation around the negative and, and I could have thought how horrible this is going to be and, and how much of a pain it's going to have to be dealing with the insurance company and getting a new car and, and everything, that, the, the, the great headache. The great headache. But I stepped back from that car crash and, and I didn't throw a fit in the middle of the road or reprimand the other man. But I said, thank you God that he looked up at the last second. Because if he wouldn't have, the steering wheel would have been into my chest and my legs crushed underneath the weight of the car. 
And when I went over to the man who had hit me, he was, he was a total mess. He was so distraught. He was shaken to his very core. I had the whereabouts to tell him about the love of God. Even when we make mistakes, I was able to talk to this man and preach the gospel to him in the middle of the street. And I don't say that to sound self-righteous, but I share that with you, that it is possible to reframe a really, really horrible situation in a way that, give th- that gives thanks to God for what didn't happen. The second thing that you can do is to practice what we might call pre-framing. Pre-framing is deciding how you will frame a situation before you engage in the situation. And this matters because our thoughts or frames often shape what we experience. And so if you go in and say, this meeting is going to be horrible. I hate these people. It's always so dull. You think it's going to be a bad meeting, and it's most likely, my friends, going to be a bad meeting. If you go into the meeting expecting it to be bad, guess what? It's probably going to be bad. But if instead you go in and say, you know what, we're going to do our best and and we're going to be productive and we're going to enjoy the people that we're around, my friends, it's going to change. Because if you change the frame, it'll change your perspective. When I'm coaching my son's baseball team, I had to constantly remind some of the players to not go up to bat as if they believed they had already struck out because a lot of them had that mental framework. What's even the point of going up to bat? We know we're just going to get an out. They would say this to me. What's even the point? I'm just going to go up there and I'm going to strike out. What's even the point? And I say, if you believe in advance that you are going to strike out, guess what? You're going to strike out. You at least give yourself a little bit of a chance and a little bit of hope if you believe that you can hit the ball. Some of you, you're pre-framing your failure because, or b- before you even get there. Some of you are pre-framing your failure even before you get there. Take whatever shortcomings you have, my friends, learn from it, pre-frame it, and walk in believing that God will enable you to be successful. What do you have the power to do? You can thank God for what didn't happen, and you can pre-frame a situation. And the third thing that you can do is you can look for God's goodness. I promise you, friends, that you will always find what you're looking for. If you look for the good, you can find the good. If you look for the bad, you're going to find the bad. If you want to see what's wrong every single day, my friends, guess what? You can find what's wrong every single day. If you want to not like people, guess what? You're going to find a ton of reasons not to like someone. But if you want to look for God, if you want to look for his goodness, if you want to see faith at work, if you want to see the best, then you can also do that. It is your choice how you frame and what filter you put a situation through. It's just like the difference between a vulture and a hummingbird. What does a vulture find every single day? Dead things. That's all he finds. Every single day. But what does a hummingbird find? Sweet things. Every single day, the hummingbird finds sweet things. And I promise you, you will always find what you're looking for. If you want to see what's wrong, what's bad, what's not working, what's wrong with the world... You can, re- you can live a really depressed and negative life. But instead, if you want to look for where God is working, you can see that he is still on his throne and he's still good and he's still powerful and he still answered prayers, that he is still with you even in the midst of really horrible situations. My friends, it is called cognitive pre-framing. Cognitive pre-framing is empowering because it lets you decide the meaning of an event. And here's where I want to take a step beyond what psychologists would tell you and any good counselor would tell you that, that framing and cognitive bias and all these tools that I've even provided you today is, is a really helpful tool to getting through any circumstance or situation you're in, but I want to take it a step beyond that. I don't want you to feel like you have to be empowered to choose the meaning of an event. I want you to help Jesus determine the meaning of an event. 
Because that is where faith and trust in God meets your circumstances. It's not just how I choose to determine the meaning of the event. It is where Jesus helps me determine the meaning of the event. And when you do that, here is what you're going to learn. And you can take this into every single situation and every single relationship that you have to endure. It's from Romans 8, right? Paul believed this and he knew this. He says this in Romans 8, 31 through 39. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? See, Paul, in the rest of chapter 8, and before he's gotten to this point in chapter 8, he's talking about what, what Christ has accomplished and, and the new world that he has ushered in. And so all of our circumstances, right? Yeah, they, they may still be enduring, but these are the, 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 the world that is aching in agony. It's crying out in desperation because it's been subjected to sin with the fall. And Christ is coming to restore all of that. And so he's talking about the, the beautiful things that Christ has done to restore all of the negative and broken things that we experience. Say, so what shall we say? If God has gone into the very chaotic and broken world, you're broken and you're chaotic in negative situations and circumstances. If God has come into those experiences to redeem them, what shall we say? If God is for us in such a way, who or what can actually be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but he gave him up for us all, won't God give us everything else? God is certainly going to be with us, redeeming all of our negative experiences. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? The world and Satan and our experiences and our negative situations, they can't condemn us. God has already redeemed them. No, for God himself has given us a right standing with himself. We are now under the shadow of God's protective wing. So who will condemn us? No one, for Christ died for us and raised to life for us. And he is sitting now in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. In other words, Jesus now has all authority in heaven and on earth. Our negative situations, the devil, none of it, they don't have authority over us. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, pleading and interceding for us. So, therefore, can anything separate us from God's love in Christ? It doesn't mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or are destitute or in danger or threatened with death. No, Paul would say, despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And now I am convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can I get an amen to that, my friends? My friends, you have a choice as to how you filter or frame your experience. You have the power to either put the love of God and all that he's accomplished with us, if you want to look at the world through that frame and put your life through that filter, then my friends, I guarantee you, you will start experiencing more joy, more positive thoughts, more positive energy. But if you choose to focus on the negative and the destruction and the chaos and the sin, you can live in the negative. You have that choice. But the choice is ours. I'm going to say a prayer for us, and then we are going to get out of here on this very, very hot day. Heavenly Father, I pray that we might be a people who choose to fixate, fixate our minds, cling to dear life for what is true. 
And what is true, Father, I want to declare over this community right now. I want to declare over not only the restoration community, but the community at large that might be within earshot of us, Father. What is true is that we are sinners who were condemned because of our belief, because of our actions, because of our behavior, Father, because we have rebelled and rejected the very source of life and the source of love, Father. We turned away from you, and now there is a great separation, Father, as we walk in the opposite direction believing that you do not love us, believing that you do not care for us. And out of that belief, Father, we have done a lot of harm, not only to ourselves, we've done a lot of harm to our world and to our community, to our friends, to our enemies, to our neighbors, to our coworkers, Father. And right now, Father, I want to acknowledge that that I'm a participant in that and that we are all participants in that. That it's not just they who are the bad people. It's not just that guy over there or that girl over there, Father. It's not just them who are causing chaos in the world. There is chaos brewing and storing, mumping in my own heart, Father. And I acknowledge this. And I also acknowledge, Father, that I have tried to fix it independent of you. I have tried to fix it, Father, by my own strength and my own efforts, Father. I've become religious in any number of ways, Father. I've tried to wash it away and drink it away and work it away, Father. And that, too, is a great offense against you. But because of your great love by which you have loved us, Father, you have sent your son Jesus into the world to take our wayward positions and our broken hearts and our chaotic situation, Father, and turn us around, proving that you loved us, proving that you care for us, inviting us back towards you, Father, through your son Jesus Christ. And I just pray for anybody who does not know you right now but continues to live through the filter and the frame of that negative, sin-filled world, Father, that is far from you, Father. I want to invite them home to offer them a new frame and a new perspective to, to look at the world, Father. And it is through the filter of your love for us. It is through the filter and the frame of all that you've accomplished for us. And does this mean magically, Father, that all of life is all of a sudden going to be perfect and we're not going to have any problems or any, any struggles? No, of course not. But we have a new frame and a new filter to interpret them through. And this, Father, will produce in us a great joy that will sustain through any hardship. And so we trust in what you've accomplished for us, Father, not in what we have accomplished on our own. <clears throat> we trust in what you have done for us, Father, and we declare now a great praise of thanksgiving for who you are and what you have done. And if anybody, Father, is, is recognizing this maybe for the very first time, that they need a savior from their broken, wayward situation, their sin, Father, right now you are offering them one, and all they need to do is cry out and say, God, I need a savior. I need Jesus Christ in my life, Father, and you will begin to renew their hearts and renew their minds to make them new through the power of your love and through the power of your Holy Spirit, Father. And I pray Now, as they do that, Father, that that we could celebrate with them and rejoice with them and help them, Father, grow into that love. And so if you have made that decision this morning, friends, reach out to me, please. Via email, and I would help to help you, I would love to help you take your next steps into faith in Jesus Christ. But the rest of us, let's just give God a great round of applause as we give him thanks for all that he has done for us. Thank you, Father. And with that, friends, have a great day day and enjoy this very, very hot weather. We'll see you next time as we conclude our series, The Renewing of the Mind. Go in peace. God bless.